0: Welcome to Built To Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Thank you for joining me for episode 95. And this time we're going to talk about 10 reasons that vans suck. I'll explain, I'll explain. We're also going to talk about diesel heaters and why you might not want to hook them up to your fuel tank, a place to visit involving lots of wooden birds, a product review of something I thought I would never buy, a vacuum cleaner, and a resource recommendation that'll give you something nice. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me here. I'm at one of my favorite local cafes called Le Moon, which, despite its name, is actually a Mexican restaurant that makes wonderful smoothies, so pardon me. Ah, Very, very good. At any rate, I'm going to talk about 10 reasons vans suck. And by that, I don't mean that vans suck they don't i love vans you love vans or you wouldn't be watching this i want to talk about specifically why in the u.s we have these things in our way that stop us from doing what we want to do with vans and it's more of a u.s problem than in other places and we're going to talk about that so let's get into that list right now all right number one have you ever noticed how nothing in a van is straight i mean even in the promasters that are kind of boxy there's still nothing straight in there right angles not a thing in a van and this makes build outs super complicated and I know a lot of people get in trouble planning out their vans and SketchUp or whatever and then they get in there and they're like oh the van goes like this yeah super annoying imagine if we could buy a van with straight sides and a straight top well I guess we can I guess that's a cube van hmm? number two If your van is front wheel drive like a ProMaster or an NV200 or a few others, you've got this big bar between the back wheels. This is a torsion bar. It helps keep the van stable on the road. Unfortunately, it kills your ground clearance. It's like this just big bar just sitting there waiting to catch a rock. This is why these vehicles are not great off-road promaster nv200 yes i've taken mine off-road but no they're not great and i really wonder if that bar absolutely needs to be there number three fuel mileage do i have to say more (laughs) i mean some vans get as low as 11 miles per gallon i mean they're big vehicles we don't expect them to get great mileage but they can do better an nv200 can do 25 Uh, my sprinter's getting 18.5 so these vans out there that are getting 11 and 12 why we don't need that however (laughs) since we're talking about sprinters we got to talk about number four diesel exhaust fluid folks owning a diesel that was made in the last 15 years or so has gotten a lot more complicated because of emissions regulations I've talked about this a lot the good news is, is that diesel exhaust is much cleaner than it used to be. The bad news is, for diesel owners, the engines have gotten much more complex and you need to add this extra fluid in there that adds cost. And diesel tends to cost more than gasoline, and so now it costs even more because you have to add this fluid. So, yeah, that kind of bites, and I think probably 10 years from now, we may not even see any diesel vehicles sold in the U.S. Number five, creature comforts let's face it vans are meant to be work vehicles now this isn't true for minivans that are meant to be passenger haulers these vehicles are meant for work that means that the person buying the vehicle often isn't the person driving it and they don't care so much about the comfortable seats or the electric windows or the fancy stereo or all these other gadgets that have become super common in cars yet are really hard to find in vans Lane departure and things like that, been in cars forever, but they're just starting to get into Vans. And so this isn't just a creature comfort thing, it's a safety thing. Wouldn't it be nice if manufacturers would let us actually have some of these things that cars already have? Number six, (laughs) the foam blocks. If you have them, you already know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, well, in the back of Promasters and Transit, there are these foam blocks that sit up where the ceiling meets the walls behind the seats, and they're just kind of in the way, and nobody really knows what they're for, and then how do you finish them, and is it safe to remove them? And some people say it has to do with airbags. but Actually, the truth is, they're there so you won't bump your head. More specifically, they're there to meet a specific regulation about bumping your head. I'll have a link in the show notes if you wanna learn more about that. But that means you can totally remove those things. It's just an annoyance that you have to deal with somehow number seven okay we accept that things aren't straight we have to make adjustments right but why can't the roof be flat why can't the back be flat the cargo area why does it have to have these ridges that just make everything more complicated and well all right there's a good answer for this one and actually cars have these things too if you uh, peel up the carpet you'll see these it's for strength they can make the vehicle weigh less and still be just as strong if they add these corrugations in there and while that makes it difficult to install a max air fan or whatever you're trying to install that one actually kind of makes sense but it's still pretty annoying when you're trying to install something number eight and this is one that's pretty much gone away now but dog houses maybe you like those big old American vans you know the Econo line and those old really big Dodge vans they used to have Well they all had little tiny fronts and that's because you didn't generally work on the engine that way. If you pop the hood on an Econoline for example you're going to see a dipstick and a few fillers but that's about it. Most of the engine is in with you under this thing called a doghouse, and that means you have to work on your engine from inside your van. This is what is known as a trade-off although in my Sprinter which also has a short front you can do all the work from under the hood. So I kind of wonder why they didn't always do that. Number nine, an odd obvious one, crash safety. Did you know that there are totally different standards for accident safety for vehicles that have passengers in them normally than for vehicles that are meant for commercial use? Vans and trucks are not as safe in a crash. And you're, I know, you're looking at me saying, come on, Jeff, they're giant, they're huge. Of course they're gonna be safer it isn't all about the giant and huge it's also about how they're built cars have all kinds of safety features that vans don't have and because of that vans are on average less safe in an accident than most cars it's true you can look it up and number 10 probably my biggest pet peeve of all why aren't there any good vans in the U.S. And okay, I got to explain. Of course, there are good vans in the US. I mean, I love the Promaster. I love the Transit. I'm even softening my position on the Chevys out there. So yes, you can get good vans in the US. But if you look at what they can get in Europe, we have very few vans here. In Europe, they've got all these vans that you've never even heard of in all different sizes and shapes with different engines. I mean, an NV200 in Europe can get over 50 miles a gallon because they have a different engine in them. Why can't we get that here in the U.S.? I mean, why can't they just ship them over and we'll buy them? It's the chicken tax. Yes, I talked about this on several episodes ago, but the chicken tax is this thing that the U.S. makes foreign truck manufacturers pay a 25% tariff whenever they sell a vehicle in the U.S., and that means they just basically don't do it. And it was a retaliation against a retaliation that goes all the way back to World War II, where the U.S. started to sell their chickens in Europe and the Europeans were upset about this because they had their own chickens so they put a tariff on the chickens and the U.S. reciprocated and blah 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 blah. All of that has been resolved except for trucks and you can say, well, Jeff, I've got a Sprinter. It's a German vehicle. It is, but it was partially assembled in the U.S. to get around the chicken tax and that's what they do with a lot of these vehicles that are assembled overseas. Transit Connects are built in Turkey. Well, the old ones were anyway. And they would send them over in pieces and they'd be assembled in the U.S. So they were built in the U.S. even though that was really just bolting on the transmission. This is a silly outdated law it needs to go away and when it does we are going to be flooded with all these cool vans that we can't get like the Nissan NV300 or the Toyota Hiace or maybe a Volkswagen Crafter that's just kind of a sprinter anyway the list goes on and on and on I am not a fan of the chicken decks. I know this has been very negative and I've had a rough time lately so I'm feeling a little bit negative I promise this will not be the standard tone going forward but hey if we don't air our grievances we can't expect to ever address them and that's all i'm trying to do here tech talk hey let's talk about diesel heaters of the chinese kind or the Wabasto, the eberspatcher or Planer, or whatever kind you want we're talking about diesel parking heaters here also known as air heaters and they're a great great way to heat your van whether you have diesel or not and that's what i want to talk to you about so Basically, in short, the way these things work is they have a combustion chamber that has a glow plug in it. That's just a very hot piece of metal and it burns diesel fuel producing heat, blows air over that which goes into your van, but the exhaust goes out almost always through the bottom of the van. That means you get heat for your van with none of the problems that propane can have, such as, oh, propane leaks and moisture being thrown in the air and carbon monoxide and all that stuff you won't have any of those problems with a Chinese diesel heater. However, Chinese diesel heaters do need power. They can draw as much as 10 amps when they start up, and then the blower motor does use some power, but most people find that after the initial startup, the blower motor isn't that big of a deal. But that's not what I really wanna talk to you about today. If you are thinking about a Chinese diesel heater, I would ask you to reconsider the idea tapping off the fuel tank. Now, if you have a diesel vehicle, it is possible to hook your diesel heater up to the fuel tank, your regular vehicle's fuel tank. Some of them even have a built-in way to do this. For example, sprinter vans have a port at the top of the fuel tank that the diesel heater can draw from, and you put a pipe on it and you want that pipe to go maybe three quarters to the bottom of the tank because you don't ever wanna run out of fuel by running your diesel heater. You always wanna have that thing be a little higher. But, and these are big buts, if you do this, you are going to be using the most expensive fuel you can because the diesel fuel has a road tax on it and you could use off-road diesel in your diesel heater. And you can only then use your diesel heater if your tank is full enough. And while I think that's an important safety measure, there might be a time when you're at a quarter of a tank and you know maybe you wanna run the diesel heater for a little bit, but suddenly you can't because the intake is above the level of the diesel. That's not great. Also, dropping a diesel tank and adding that hookup for your Chinese diesel heater or whatever kind you're using, that's a lot of work. I've watched a bunch of videos of people doing this and. Uh, Wow, you know, I really don't think I'm up for that, especially in my circumstance of not having a garage or a place to work on my vehicle. Now if you do decide to go that route because you think it's most convenient, you just have one tank to fill up, you don't take up any extra space inside, that's all fine. But for the rest of you, let me point out some of the advantages of using the tank that comes with it, or a different tank. First off. You can use it in a gasoline vehicle in the US. It's really hard to get gasoline powered heaters like this. You can get them They're not technically legal Uh, There's no warranty service on them and when you find them They're very very expensive and be careful of the ones on eBay that say gasoline Oftentimes that's a mistranslation from the Chinese word for fuel be very careful of that But that little tank actually gives you a lot of flexibility For one thing, no matter how much diesel you have in your vehicle's fuel tank, you have its own separate supply. You can never run out of diesel for your vehicle because it's not coming from that source. Also, you can use different fuels in there. So if you have that tank, or another tank. A lot of people don't like the tank that comes with it and that's fine. Also, by the way, you wanna mount it so that the cap is on the top, not on the side. Anyway, you can put other kinds of fuel in it. You can put kerosene, you can put off-road diesel. You can use a mix because this thing isn't running an engine, it's just burning. So anything that burns similar to diesel fuel is gonna be just fine. Now, yes, you have to be careful because some things will create more soot than others, et cetera, et cetera. But having that flexibility is great i mean i can imagine being in a walmart parking lot in the middle of the night and it's a 24-hour walmart and there's no gas station anywhere near and you're freezing but you want to run your heater and you can just go inside and buy some kerosene i could imagine that happening so these are things to think about if you're going to do a chinese diesel heater i highly recommend them i think they're a great solution but don't jump to the conclusion that you absolutely need to hook it up to your vehicle's tank it's not true and it may actually not be the way you want to go Tails from the road yeah you know i'm due a good tail <laughs> uh, so um i needed a fuse just a fuse little fuse well 40 amp fuse all right a fairly large fuse but the size of the fuse doesn't matter except that a fuse that large a 40 amp fuse and i'm just talking about an atc fuse here the normal kind of fuses uh, you can only get at auto parts stores um generally you won't find them at any place else so I go to AutoZone, which is the closest auto parts store to me, and I pull into the parking lot, and while I'm driving there, I'm behind this truck, and it's this big dump truck, and it doesn't look like it's in the greatest of repair, and I'm starting to smell the strong smell of diesel, and I'm like, oh god, alright, so, you know, I flip the thing on to recirculate, I pull into AutoZone, I get my fuse, I come out, and I notice, um, I don't know, some kind of little puddle under the ambulance. And uh, I don't think much of it. Air conditioning makes puddles and I had just spilled water in the back and I thought maybe that had found its way out. Whatever. I'm not too worried about it. But because I'm cautious, I backed up into the space right behind mine. I checked there was nobody in the way. And uh, I took a look at the puddle and it was kind of a lot of liquid. So I got out to look at it and I noticed that there was now a puddle under my ambulance. (sighs) So yes, the ambulance is leaking something. What is it? Well, there's two ways to tell what a vehicle is leaking. One is by color and another is by smell. and I guess a third is by texture. So I go to this big puddle and I stick my fingers in it and I'm like, okay, it's an oil, but it's clear. And then I smell it and I'm like, oh, it's diesel. I'm blaming that truck in front of me for the diesel smell, but no, it's coming out of my engine. And I look under the ambulance and it's literally raining diesel fuel. Now, the ambulance has been pretty much sitting in its parking space for a week. I haven't really driven it anywhere. I haven't done any engine work whatsoever. I haven't done anything inside. And I'm like, what could I have done? Is there some way I could have, like, sent a screw into a fuel line? Or did rats get up in there and chew something? I mean, I don't know. So I opened the hood because that's what you do. And I fully expected to open the hood and look in there and say, yep that's an engine, and have absolutely no idea what was going on, but I did notice that the top of the engine under the air cleaner was kind of oily, and it smelled like diesel, and it looked like the diesel was coming out of the top of the engine. Now, these Sprinter engines, these 3.0 liter V6 diesel engines, are a little strange in that they don't use a normal fuel filter you know you've seen these fuel filters they're little plastic things that just have a paper filter in them and the fuel goes in and goes through the filter and goes out very simple no 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 this is a mercedes we're talking about here we must have an extremely expensive and fancy filter so it's this metal canister with several hoses and electronics and all this stuff and it's like 200 bucks to replace the thing but mine has a puddle of diesel fuel on top of it now the good thing about this is that gravity works, and if you can find the highest point of a leak, well, that's pretty much gonna tell you where the leak is. Leaks aren't generally going to go up. So since this was sitting on the top of the fuel filter, it was my fuel filter that was leaking. And I've never replaced the fuel filter in this thing, although I probably should. So I wasn't entirely sure how the connections worked, but I stuck my hand under the air cleaner and wiggled around and boop, there was a part that was completely detached. Well, how did that happen? Well, I took a close look at it, and the two clips that are on this part that snap it into the fuel filter are totally broken off. They're gone, and it looks like they've been gone forever. So I literally took a hammer, a hammer, and hammered it back into place, and now everything's fine. That's it. Everything's fine. Except that it isn't. I have to replace that part. anyway there's a couple of lessons here. One of them is obvious, is that if you buy an older van, especially one that was owned by somebody else, I mean, I guess all older vans, but you know what I mean. Anyway, you're going to run into stuff like this where people have done stuff that's been kind of stupid. And apparently somebody replaced the fuel filter in the past and broke these clips off and just thought, eh, it stays in good enough. Now, I've been driving this thing for thousands of miles and it hasn't popped off, but... This isn't the worst thing in the world that can happen, but it's spraying diesel fuel all over the engine, including the hot parts. This absolutely could have caused an engine fire. So I am grounding my vehicle, I'm not going anywhere until I replace these clips and that thing is held in. But the other part is this happened to me right when I'm on a low point of the van. I, I mentioned this last week that I'm not thrilled with the van right now. I will be, I am going to get there, but I'm not there right now. And then this sudden semi-catastrophic thing it was catastrophic in that i couldn't drive the van anywhere it was only a little bit catastrophic because i was able to figure out what it was pretty quickly but i mean i totally understand how people just throw their hands up and say i'm done with this i'm done with it i'm sick of it i'm done with it i get it i get it but one of the benefits of being older and having done stuff like this before is that you know this too shall pass And i can overcome this and i'm thankful that i have watched enough youtube videos and had enough experience that i can see simple little things like this for what they are which is an annoyance so i'll get the part i'll put it on and everything will be fine until the next thing goes and then i'll try to rely on my philosophy a little bit more than my emotions product review you know I, I never thought I would buy one of these things it came up as a half price deal on Alexa and I was like ah, all right it's a 12 volt vacuum cleaner and you already know what I'm talking about it's this little handy handheld vacuum cleaner that you plug into a cigarette lighter thing but holy cow this thing is great the ones I've used in the past have been kind of crappy you can add accessories and they come in this really cute bag and if you look inside You'll see there's a hose, and it fits right in there, and there's an extender here, and a brush, and an extra filter, and then, you know, a little manual, and then even a brush to clean stuff with. I mean, clean the thing with. So, yeah, I really like this thing, and it was only 20 bucks on that lightning deal. Now, I imagine it's going to be more when I actually list it in the show notes, of course, but... Hey, if you want a compact and pretty powerful 12-volt vacuum cleaner, and yes, it has a cord, you might want a cordless, but this thing from This Works actually works. It's right, it does work. And uh, heck, I like it. Again, link in the show notes. I love it. Hear that behind me? It's a bird. Well, I know a place that you should visit that has birds, except, well, they don't make much noise because they're not alive. But, uh, sorry, if you are ever in Vermont, in northern Vermont, in the Burlington area, there is a place in the town of Huntington called the Birds of Vermont Museum. And you might think this is just a museum with, like, birds in it. And it is, except that all these birds were hand-carved by a master carver and I'm not talking about duck decoys here these things look real he carved every feather on these birds and they're just stunning it is a really unique bit of Americana and it's sitting in a little tiny town in Vermont that's actually not too far from stuff the whole collection was made by Bob Spears and what is unique about it is that it's called Birds of Vermont because he carved every single bird found in Vermont. The place is like a catalog of all the birds you can find there. And then when he was done with that, he moved on to butterflies, which I don't think he quite finished. He died just a few years ago. He was quite old. I did have the opportunity to meet him a couple times and he was a super cool guy. And after you visit the museum and you've seen all the the carved birds, definitely go check out the bird feeder in the back. And yes, they have a nice gift store, but they have a bird feeder in back that they know about birds. And this feeder has every kind of bird you can imagine in it. And you can just sit there and watch it for a while. And it's really nice. So that's the Birds of Vermont Museum in Huntington, Vermont. I will have links in the show notes. It is worth a few hours of your time to check it out. Resource recommendation. Hey, look at me, here I am standing in front of my van and the hood's open. This is uh, happening more and more often lately. It is not my favorite way to enjoy my van, but hey, this is gonna happen. If you buy an older van, you're gonna spend time trying to figure out what's going on with it. And I found a very good way, a very good way to find resources for how to fix your van is on forums. Now this is kind of an old school technology here for all you kids in your 20s and whatever, you might think of forums as old school, but they have some distinct advantages over the newer technologies. Facebook and the like, yeah, you can get some advice there, but it's all over the place and it's hard to search for. YouTube is excellent for installation videos or things where you really need that visual element. For example, if you were trying to figure out how to take off this air cleaner right here, YouTube can help you out with that. It's actually pretty easy. But forums have more technical information, and the most important part is that it's instantly vetted. If you post a YouTube video and you're wrong, the only way anyone's gonna find out is if, well, somebody puts something in the comments and then you happen to read it, or someone makes another video that you may never see. On a forum, if somebody posts a piece of information that's wrong, like they say, hey, I just put these tires in my van, and somebody else says, But dude, those tires don't fit your van. It all happens in real time. And it's all vetted by everybody in the forum. And yeah, sometimes that leads to arguments and whatever. That's just how people are. But you, as a lurker, I mean, you don't even have to participate in the forums, can go through there and get the information you want. And it was through forums that I was able to figure out exactly what was going on with my van and that leaky hose, how important it was, how to fix it, all the stuff I needed, including some part numbers, which was super important. So, doesn't matter what kind of a van you have, go to Google, type in, this is my van, whatever van you have, and then the word forum, and search and see what's out there. There's a forum for every van, and it can be a very, very useful resource in a way that Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everything, Discord, everything else can't. Forums are special. Try them out. Hey, just a bit of a technical update on the podcast here. I am not happy with the quality of the podcasts since I have started doing the YouTube thing at the same time. My idea was that I would do the podcast and the video version of the podcast at the same time and try to make the content work in both places and the podcast is really suffering in my opinion. I'm making all kinds of references to things you can't see, the sound quality is terrible, and because I'm not sitting at my computer when I'm making these, I don't have access to facts and data, or even the time. I am guessing at how long I should be talking, whereas if I'm at the computer, I can actually see I better wrap this up. So. Going forward, I am going to transition out of this. I don't know if I'm going to do it in one episode or two or whatever, but by the time I get to episode 100, the podcast will be its own thing, and the video channel will be its own thing. And that means that, hey, it's just more content for everybody. It's also a lot more work for me. Suddenly now I have to come up with two different sets of content every week. But it will also mean that I can recycle content that I have used in the podcast for the video channel. So, you um, you podcast listeners are special to me. In a way, you're my favorites. <laughs> this content you're listening to right now is not ever gonna be on YouTube. What you say matters a lot to me, and I, I listen to a little bit of feedback, and I'm certainly encouraging more. So, if you have any input on this how to balance a podcast and video thing, go ahead and send me a note at jeff at built2go.com, and I will take it very, very seriously. Thank you. Thank you for watching and or listening to this episode 95. You can get a hold of me at jeff at built gocom That's two T's, not three, not one. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. Next week, we're going to do something special, a little bit Halloweeny, and it's going to involve a lot of travel, so stay tuned for that. And until next time, remember the words of Mary Ann Rodmacher, I am not the same, having seen the moon shine from the other side of the world.